woman who will be shared that given weekend by whomever is preaching and, and teaching. And we thought that an appropriate title for this weekend was Returns and Exchanges. And I don't know about you, you don't have to raise your hands, especially if that person may be sitting anywhere in the, you know, near proximity to you, but even the best families sometimes, uh, would you agree that there are returns and exchanges that are required at times? Uh, those boots that don't quite fit, you know, that shirt that you would never wear even to bed or to, you know, chop wood in or whatever. Uh, anyway, you know, so uh, I found I'm really thankful uh, for uh, the fact that returns and exchanges are accepted. Uh, and uh, one particular time in my life when I was really, really happy about that was actually 22 years ago when... Uh, my wife and I were newly married. It was our first year uh, being married. We didn't have any children yet. And we were uh, in Oregon. I was studying in Bible college. She was getting her PhD, uh, which is putting hubby through, uh, working uh, to pay for my education anyway. And so we talked about Christmas coming up. And I shared with her, man, I want an NIV study Bible. Some of you remember there was a, a study Bible. was about this big, big old fat, you know, cream uh, sort of edges with a dark blue middle of bunch of notes in there. It made you feel really smart when you read the Bible. And so I was like, please give me that. Don't give me anything else. Please give me that. I know. I wasn't always the gracious, mature man of God you see before you today. But anyway, uh, she also proceeded to tell me what she wanted for Christmas. And that was she wanted a stainless steel, or no, it was actually aluminum, decorative garbage can. But wait, it gets better. It was actually hand-painted sort of a slate blue color that was really in back in the, in the 90s, if you remember that, and speckled with different little pink and white and, you know, whatever. And on the front side, it had a little bunny that was painted on it. So the whole thing was light blue, and it was just this, this about this big, and, and it cost $70. And at the time, you know, newly married, I was like, 70 bucks for a decorative garbage can? I mean, it might as well have been $700, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm just not getting it, right? Guys, any guys with me? I'm just like, you know, so, so, but you know, things were kind of proceeding as planned until one fateful evening, three or four days before Christmas, I went out shopping with a friend of mine who was also in Bible college named Michael. And we went out, at, we ended up at Target, you know, stuff was mainly picked over, but we went down this one aisle and it was like a novelty aisle or whatever. And all of a sudden we, we both stopped and, and angels began to sing. And, and right there on the shelf in front of us were these boxes that included a jet spa. And what that was, was a white plastic horseshoe looking thing that had a plug in and you actually put it over the edge of the bathtub. And it had one solitary but presumably very powerful jet that transformed, according to, you know, the advertising, transformed your bathtub into a roaring, luxurious, relaxing day at the spa. And we're both like... You know, the picture on the outside shows the lady, you know, with the little, you know, whatever. It's got the bubbles and there's candles and it's romantic. And it's just like, yes, this is the vision. This is the dream. So we both are like, you're going to do it? Yeah. You're going to do it? Yeah. So we both bought our wives this jet spot. And we wrapped it. He actually ended up uh, opening presents a day before because he had to travel on Christmas Day. So after he opens presents with his family, he comes and he's like, dude, my wife loved it. She opened it, man. She was jumping up for joy. You know, we went trying it out. Was, oh, man, I can't tell you more, but it was amazing. I'm like, sweet. It's going to be awesome. So Christmas morning comes in our house. I get my present. I open it. And sure enough, it's my NIV study Bible, right? Who knew? And I'm like, yay, thank you, honey. And then she, I give her her present. But it's not shaped like this. Like she was expecting. It was shaped more like this. And she's going to like, okay. 
does yoga. He's like, what's this? I'm like, honey, it's a jet spa. Hey, do you want to go try it right now upstairs? All point. She's like, no, I don't think so. And sure enough, there were tears on our first Christmas morning because she didn't receive that one present she was hoping for. So guess where I was? Uh, 9.59 a.m. on the 26th of December. I was out in the parking lot of a little country antique shop that sold these blue hand-painted uh, garbage cans with the money on the front of it. And sure enough, I opened the door. There it was. I was like, I'll pay you 140 I don't care. Here you go. So I bought that. Ten minutes later, we were at, you know, I'm elbowing people to get to the front of the line at Target to return the jet spa. I was never so happy to get rid of a present in all of my life. And I'll tell you what, I was very happy that returns and exchanges were accepted. But here's the deal. Funny story, but the reality is this. I think all of us at this time of the year, uh, and not necessarily even at this time of the year, I think as 2013 draws to an end, we certainly uh, may, may understand this more than even we usually would and reflect on it. The fact that, hey, if we look back at this year, there's probably some things we wish we could return. And maybe I'm not talking about an actual physical present right now. Maybe I'm talking about like, hey, the way I handled that situation. Or, hey, what I believed about that person. Or uh, how I spoke to that person. Or, you know, something like that. And, and I believe that God wants us to know this weekend that there's good news. That he accepts returns and exchanges. That he is inviting us to come in and return to him. Return to his hope that he has for our lives if the enemy has stolen that. And also he invites us to exchange our mindset and to actually renew our minds and have the mind of Christ. And so I think it's uh, cool that we have an opportunity to do that together. And uh, if you're willing to go there with me, are you willing to go there? You willing to talk about returns and exchanges? Okay. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a valuable thing that we can do together. And you may actually leave here and be able to kind of reflect upon that and, and find maybe a quiet place uh, with God where, where you can finish what we start right here during this service. So, um, first of all, um, before actually getting into that, um, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, there is uh, kind of a biblical precedent for what we're going to do, um, and that is found in the story about the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Talking about the Ark of the Covenant, probably looked somewhat similar to that. And uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God with his people. I mean, it was like that was where... God in his most manifest presence and in most, uh, you know, uh, uh, tangible form dwelt among his people in the Holy of Holies. But what had happened was there was a high priest named Eli who was an older gentleman uh, who was in power at the time when young Samuel uh, began to grow up in the tabernacle. And, and uh, his sons were not following the Lord and they were doing things that were disgraceful. And so God, of course, a lot of other idolatry was happening in the land. God allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be captured by the Philistines, who were their enemies. And it got taken to the Philistine country, actually a place named Ashdod, and uh, uh, all the people were just, you know, completely bewildered and perplexed and discouraged and going, what? This is, this is the presence of God. This is, this is what sets us apart from all the other nations of the world. This is, this is how we know that God is for us and, and God is with us and, and God loves us and we're his people. The Ark of the Covenant is here. What? It's gone now? It's in... What happened? What does that leave us now? You can imagine how they felt. And God, over some time, the people began to repent. And God allowed several things to happen. <coughs> their, uh, they placed the Ark of the Covenant in with the temple of their God. And two nights in a row, they found their God the following morning on his face, 
in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The second morning, his wrists were broken and his actually neck was broken off. And so they're like, uh-oh, whoops, you know, where's the superglue? Okay, let's move the Ark out of here. So they moved the Ark and they moved it from city to city. And in every city that they moved it, the people began to develop tumors, cancerous tumors. And so they're like, well, we don't want it. Pass it on down the road. Hey, got a gift for you guys. You know, you guys want it? It's made of gold. And so they begin to pass it around. But every city where it goes, people begin to develop tumors. And so finally they say, you know what? Maybe this is from God. And here's how we can know for sure. Let's put it on a cart, get some oxen, and we'll separate the oxen from their young. And if the oxen truly begin to take the Ark of the Covenant all the way back to Israel, we'll know that this truly was a judgment from God and that he truly is with his people who he says he is. And so sure enough, that's what happened. They put the Ark of the Covenant back. And so the people were repenting. They were turning to Samuel saying, you know, ask God to forgive us. And, and we repent. And we want to serve the Lord. And so what happened is the Ark of the Covenant came back into the land. And as the people, the Philistines, who had followed it, began to gather around to attack the people of God, they began to cry out to the Lord. And that day, it said that God thundered, and he caused a storm to hum, and he uh, scattered and routed all of their enemies, and they were delivered on that day. And you know what they did? They built an altar. They actually took some stones, <coughs> built up an altar to the Lord, and they called it Ebenezer, which actually, aside from being Scrooge's first name, which is probably the more popular thing you might know about Ebenezer, but it actually means this far God has brought us. This far God has brought us. They looked back at their story. They looked back at their situation. They looked back at what had gone wrong, at the idolatry, at being separated temporarily from the presence of God or at least his blessings and protection because of that idolatry. But they looked back and saw what God had done and how he had forgiven and been gracious. And they were able to build that altar and say, man, you know what? God has brought us this far, and he's going to be with us till the end. So I think that looking at that story, I believe that God might have us today do something similar and build an altar and say, Ebenezer, this far God has brought us as we prepare to look at 2014. Do you want to do that today? Yes? I was born and raised in Pentecost, guys, so you're going to have to help him, Lord. Preach it, Pastor. Okay, there we go. All right. So here's the deal. I believe that we can do that in a couple of ways um, uh, together today. And again, you may take some of this and, and do it on your own later. Uh, but I believe that as we build an altar to the Lord and say, Ebenezer, this far God has helped us. I believe we do that by looking back and seeing, looking back even perhaps at this year, 2013. I think we can look around at what is happening around us and where we find ourselves right now. And I think we can also look forward to 2014. And in each of those areas, God wants us to find Him. He wants us to find Jesus in our story. So, you ready to do the first one? Looking back. Here's what I believe we gain by looking back. I think naturally we gain perspective, right? When we look back at our story, uh, perhaps in 2013, we, it, it, we can begin to see God at work in our lives. I hope you can. If you can't or haven't had a chance to do that yet, let me encourage you. When you look back, you're probably going to find three things. This is what I found in my story looking at 2013. The first one is the good. I can see good things. The second is the bad. And the third, any guesses? Oh yeah, you know it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I bet if you look back at 2013 in your life, as I look back in my life, I certainly see those three types of things taking place in my life. And you might ask, well, okay, what do you mean and what might fit into these other categories? Okay. The good, I think, is the easiest to talk about, and that is, man, the obvious blessing of God in our lives. I, I hope that as you look back at 2013, even if it's been 
perhaps the toughest year of your life. Or maybe it's been the greatest year. But I hope that you can see some moments of the obvious, undeniable, unquestionable blessing and favor of God to you in your life. Man, as I look back, I can certainly see some of those things. I see a birthday that we had for, for my wife and for Levi and Ellie in Scottsdale, Arizona back in March, and that was a special little trip. And, you know, I can look at Zachary pinning a guy wrestling, and that was, you know, me jumping up and down with the camera and shouting. You know, I can look back at different times and see the goodness of God and see his favor. I'll tell you one that we all have. You ready for this one? You live in Colorado, people. <laughs> look at your neighbor and be like, we live in Colorado. Don't you forget it. Now, I remember 15 years ago, before we moved here, we came back as Candy's parents, my in-laws, lived here. And we would come back for Christmas almost every year. And I remember one time being at my favorite muffin and bagel. Up on, uh, this particular one was at uh, Dry Creek and Yosemite, kind of up, you know, up north of here, 10 miles or so. And as you go west on Dry Creek, on a day like we've had, maybe not so much today, but the last few days, man, blue skies snow-capped mountains. I mean, it's like, you know, I was driving with my chocolate and cream cheese muffin, and it was like, hallelujah, hallelujah, Colorado, Colorado, you want to move here? I heard angels singing in my car. And I was like, I can't afford to, I can't afford to. It was kind of like that sticker. You know you all have the native sticker. Have you seen that with the little Colorado mountains? Hey, there's another sticker out there that I'm going to put on my car. It says, I wasn't born here, but I got here as fast as I could. Okay? All right. So not quite native, but, you know, wish I were in. Next best thing. But the idea being, we were like, oh, how could we ever afford it? How could we ever live? This is the most beautiful place. We lived in some other places. Um, Michigan, South Dakota, some other places that, you know, you kind of get that snow, melted, dirt, ice melt, packed down. Oh, it's time for the next snow. You know, repeat the process about 20 times over the course of five months. And then the sun comes out, and then spring comes, and it's beautiful. But, man, we were just dreaming of moving here. Guess what? God has opened the door. It looks like he's done the same for most of you. Uh, and if you're not, at least you get to visit here once in a while. But it's a blessing. It's the smile of God. If you ever doubt if God loves you and if God likes you and wants to show his goodness to you, look up and look around at Colorado. Let that be kiss from heaven to you. But I'm sure as you look back, hopefully you can see other areas of the obvious blessing of God. What about this, the bad? As I look back, it's probably plenty as well. I can see ways in which the enemy has tried to come in and attack the blessing of God in my life, or attack my family, or attack my kids or me. And here's the deal. It's no secret, right? In John chapter 10, Jesus himself told us, hey, the enemy comes to do what? Steal kill and destroy. Thankfully, he didn't end it there, but he said, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest or have it abundantly. But here's the deal. We do have an enemy, don't we? I remember Pastor John teaching at a marriage retreat. He says, hey, the fact that you may fight or get in an argument, the fact that things are tough sometimes in a marriage isn't proof that you're not compatible. It's not proof that you were never meant to live together. It's not proof that it can't work. It's proof that you have an enemy. Hello? We have an enemy who, whose spoken purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy in our lives. So as we look back, as you look back, if you see some times where you're like, man, wow, I wrestled that sickness, or man, there felt like there was strife in my marriage or in that relationship, or oh my gosh, my kids, 
What are they thinking? What do they do? Ha! Lord, help me! You know, you tell the parent teenagers. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, back to the message. You know, we see those things and we're like, ah, I see how the enemy has tried to come in and steal away at God's blessing, at his truth, at his favor, at, at, at peace, at joy, at obedience, whatever it might be. Would you agree the enemy sometimes tries to do that? The last one is this. What about the ugly? What does that mean? Well, as I think about it, I think sometimes there's things that we see in our life that are so painful and perhaps messy. And we're like, God, what are you doing here? God, how could you? You say all things work together for the good, but I, I don't know, man. This thing, this thing hurts an awful lot. This thing is really confusing, Lord. Why did you let that happen? God, I, I, I'm wanting to serve you. I'm wanting to obey you. I, I love you. How could that happen? And, and things that are so painful. Perhaps it's a relationship that's been strained or even severed. Perhaps it's, you know, uh, something has changed in your life that you thought you could count on forever. And all of a sudden, you find yourself just spinning, going, man, I just feel kind of darkness, confusion, I'm perplexed. I don't know exactly, I don't even know if it fits in the good category or in the bad category. All I know right now is that it's ugly. You know what I'm saying? And we wonder. I bet you'll find some of those places as you look back. I know there's things that I do. We've, it's been for here, I was in Castle Rock, a year of transition. You know, we've had multiple transitions in our staff and you know, people moving to other places, other states, people moving to other ministries. I mean, other things happen, some because of financial cutbacks. I mean, some of those things are painful. You know, some of those things are, are tough and, and, and you're like, I don't even have to say it's good or it's bad. I can just know, I just know it hurts. You know what I'm saying? I just know it, it's ugly. Does that make sense? Do you find some areas in your life where you're kind of going, yeah, there's some areas where it can be honestly said, it's ugly. Here's the deal. Here's why I believe God wants us to look back and why it's beneficial. Yeah, it's not just when you sit there looking back like, boy, oh wow. You know, here's what God has in each of those areas as we look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. As we look at the good, I believe that gratefulness and thanksgiving can begin to swell up inside of us. You know, Psalm 100 says this, Enter, I will enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving in my heart and his courts with praise. I believe as we look back at our year and take a moment and say, Man, God, I can see your obvious goodness to me in this area. Man, I can see it in that friendship. I can see it in that conversation. Lord, I can see it in that healing. Lord, I can see it in that time of prayer. God, I can see it when you spoke to me through your word in that day. God, I can see it with that song on the radio or that weekend at the retreat or whatever it's been. But man, God, I can see your goodness in my life. Guess what? The natural byproduct you're going to have to try is going to be Thanksgiving is going to rise up inside you. And you're going to be like, Lord, I thank you. God, you are good. God, you are faithful. And that can grow and increase in us as the Holy Spirit does its work and as we look back at the good in this last year. As a church, we can look back and go, man, we've had over 200 salvations across the board at all four campuses. We've had more than 600 people attend retreats and you know, uh, conferences like men's dance and ladies' retreat and different things like that. We had 189 people go on nine different mission trips. You know, that's a powerful thing. We've had uh, about a million dollars invested and given to missions in 53 countries. You know, things like that are what we see. Wow, God, whoo, go God, you know? We see the obvious goodness, the obvious favor of God. 
What about looking at the bad, though? What's the benefit, right? Why, why even look at that? Why even, why even take the time to acknowledge those areas where the enemy is trying to come in and attack? Here's what I believe God wants you to know and me to know. What he wants us to do is when we look back and say, wow, that was the situation where the enemy tried to do this. Here's where he tried to come in with that lie. Here's where I felt discouraged and depressed and alone. Here's where, you know, whatever it might be. Every time the enemy attacks us, he's revealing his hand. He's revealing a strategy. And God wants us to gain wisdom. So that every time that he tries something, he's exposing a tactic that he's using. And all of a sudden, we can come out wiser. I don't know about you guys, I do like to watch the Broncos games. And something really frustrating for me has been that certain games, we've come out and kind of pounded them in the first half. But guess what happens? Halftime happens. And they get to talk about it. <laughs> and we've kind of shown them, you know, our hand. Here's our strategy. And all of a sudden, sometimes they'll come back in the second half, and it seems like we're trying to do the same stuff, but it's not working. What changed? Well, they had a conversation and said, hey, wait a minute. They tried to pass to the outside, so we're going to bring our safeties back. They tried to, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, they adjusted their game so that they could come back and give us a run for our money. You know what? I believe that that's the same thing that God wants for his sons and daughters to do. Every time we look back and see the enemy trying a scheme, a well-worn path, the scripture says we are not unaware or ignorant of his schemes. What God is saying is, hey, if you will look back and see, ha, the enemy tried that. Ha, he tried that. Look at this lie he told me. Look at what I will give you wisdom by my word to where 2013's defeat or perhaps tie is 2014's crushing victory for us. Because he exposed his hand, he exposed his trick, and the light of God shined in on that situation, and we are now filled with the truth required to confront that lie and have victory. Is it worth it? I think it is. Let's be willing to look back, even at the bad. What about the ugly? Why do we look at that? Why do we spend any time even thinking about that? Here's what I think about the ugly. In those moments when we're in a painful situation, and where we're wondering, God, what are you doing? I'm confused and perplexed. I don't understand. All I know is it's messy and it's painful. I think those times are times when we can develop trust and come closer in connection with Jesus than at any other time in our life. Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this simple phrase, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, then he goes on to say, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same purpose, being one spirit. But... But even those first phrases, if you have any encouragement from what? Being united with Christ. He didn't say understanding everything going on around you. He didn't say having a plan of how it's all going to be different as soon as the new year hits. He said if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from what? His love. I believe that in those times where it's painful and where it's ugly are the times when Jesus is closest to us. And if we will let him, he wants to come and be our comfort and be our encouragement. If we will just choose to say, Lord, I may not understand it. I may be confused, but God, I choose to let your comfort and your love be what brings me through this time. I'll tell you what, that can be a powerful time of developing an intimacy with Jesus that we would have never found otherwise. 
Um, I'll tell you this, sometimes things can feel like they are meant to harm us because of the pain we feel, but it's actually meant for our good. And we need to just have the wisdom of God to be able to trust Him and develop that intimacy with Him. That can happen as we look back. What about looking around? What is the value of looking around as we prepare to move into a new season? Um, I'm not a survival expert. I have watched um, Man vs. Wild a few times. Um, I've watched some movies, you know, like Walt Disney's Tarzan, one of my personal favorites, um, as well as like the Swiss Family Robinson, which was two hours of my life that I wish I could get back, but um, I was with my kids, so it wasn't a total loss. And uh, but here's the commonality that I see in these stories about people that go through a storm or go through a shaking is that one of the first things they do is try to salvage whatever materials, whatever supplies. So both of those, you know, even the story of Tarzan, which of course is fiction, but I'm sure it's happened in real life many times. Uh, you know, a ship goes into a storm and it gets, you know, beat and, and, and the waves are coming and it actually gets destroyed. But the people are able to take to shore everything they can. You know, some floating boxes of, of uh, you know, food or beverage or, or perhaps a, a mast or part of a sail or, or whatnot. And those things become, you know, perhaps the rope, you know, from an anchor. And all of a sudden those things are used to actually be able to survive and actually be able to be a foundation for whatever time they might have to spend in that deserted place. Would you agree? Here's what's interesting. Pastor John said at the beginning of 2013, he said, this is going to be a year of transitions. And none of us really knew, I don't think he even perhaps knew the full implication of what that all would mean. But he just said, I just believe God's showing me this is going to be a year of transitions. And as I mentioned, man, even here in our campus, we had transition in worship ministry, nursery ministry, prayer ministry, men's ministry, children's ministry now, <laughs> you know, family, I mean, just other things that are going on, some that are still in progress right now. And it's like, wow, okay. Then fast forward to October, Kate Leach had a dream where we, there was a storm coming and, and it was a tornado and we were all in the lower unfinished basement of a house and we were all holding to the foundations. And the word was everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. I don't know how you felt it in your life this year or in what way that has revealed itself, but I guarantee you as a church, I can speak and perhaps as a family, we feel like, hey, we've experienced some of that shaking. And as we go through some of that shaking or some of those storms, I believe we can ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first one being, what gets shaken away and shaken loose during the storm? And the second one is perhaps what remains. So let's talk about that first one for a minute. What gets shaken? As I look around, what gets shaken away? I think there's a couple things that get shaken away in our lives in, in times of storm and in times of shaking. The first one is the pretend me. The pretend me. So I have this guy that I know is in his reverend, Dr. Pastor DJ Smith. And uh, this guy, you, you should meet him because he has his act together. He, every visitor that comes through those doors, man, he calls them, writes them a little postcard you know, has a personalized stamp. He sends out, he meets them for coffee the first week they come to the campus. He immediately finds a way to integrate them into a small group 
They become growing, tithing, blessing members of the congregation. You know, they send in thank you cards. Wow, without you, our life would have been, you know, so empty. Uh, he, he spends hours and hours in prayer and reading God's word every day. But he still has time to play with his children and to play video games, which he doesn't like because he grew up in Spain. His missionary kid didn't have an Xbox. Anyway, uh, yeah, but this guy just has his act together, man. He knows he does everything. He's so good at everything. Everyone likes him. Everyone understands the decision he makes. Everybody, you know, just respects and admires him so much. But guess what? Most days, in fact, uh, yeah, pretty much all days, I'm not that guy, right? In some way, I fall short of that perfect ideal. Here's what shaking does. It shakes us loose from kind of that, that pretend self that we want to be, for whatever those reasons are, and it just brings us back to, you know what? I guess I'm just me, you know? And in the middle of that, isn't it weird? We can actually find that God loves us as just us. That we don't have to be that Reverend Dr. Pastor DJ Smith who has his act fully together, but we can just be who we are, desperately needing the mercy of God, desperately needing his love, desperately needing his wisdom, making mistakes, depending on his forgiveness, growing as he reveals himself to us. I'll tell you what, we reveal, you know, the shaking shakes away those false pretenses and shows us who we really are. I don't know about you, I like. Um, watching uh, X Factor. And it's kind of like a show like American Idol. It's like one of those reality singing shows. You know, maybe <coughs> The Voice and there's several out there. But, uh, but every year, without question, there's somebody that uh, is very, very talented that makes it to the final, uh, uh, you know, 24 or 12, whatever. And, and, but they sound something like this. shopping in Southern California, my wife and I, and it said this, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. <laughs> Isn't that a good reminder? Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. I believe God wants you to know, in the shaking process, in the storm, one of the things that he's wanting to shake away is us trying to pretend to be stuff that we're not, have gifts that we're not, be people that we're not, try to, you know, pursue things that we're not supposed to be pursuing, and just come back to, Lord, who am I in you? Who have you told me to be? And as we do that, man, there's a lot of life in that. And it takes a lot less energy to be you, trust me, <laughs> than to be somebody else. But God wants that to happen. What about uh, what remains? Obviously, there's many things we can talk about, but talk about maybe that's one of the things that gets shaken away. What about what remains in that time of shaking? The most important thing that I believe God would want you to know is that your identity in Christ is what remains through that shaking. There is a past. Okay, can I tell you guys why I believe so often we don't find Jesus in the middle of our storm? I think there's a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I've walked through very difficult situations and I've looked 
And look, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, come rescue me. God, answer my prayer. And we don't find Jesus. And we're like, what happened? Did he forget about me? Was, was he busy? Was he on vacation? What, what happened? Do you want to know why I believe sometimes we don't find Jesus in the middle of the shaking? I believe it's because we're looking in the wrong place. And here's what I mean by that. We celebrated Christmas this week. And thinking back, we can all look at that story and go, okay, we see Herod the king. We see other wise men around Herod. We see other people that presumably knew the scriptures that should have perhaps been expecting Jesus to be born around that time and been looking for him. But guess what? They weren't expecting him and they missed him completely. Why? Because they were looking for someone to come in and change their political situation or change their financial situation or come and make them the 1%, you know, or whatever, right? And that's what they were looking for. So therefore, when Jesus was born humbly in a manger, it's a little baby born of peasant people, they completely missed him. But I think sometimes, follow me with this, sometimes we're in the middle of a shaking. We're like, God, I need you to change this. I need you to calm this storm. I need you to heal me from the sickness. I need you to, to provide and give me this job. I need you to do this in my life and, and be my provider, be my healer, be, be this to me. And we miss what he's actually wanting to do and how he's wanting to reveal himself in that to us. It's not that he doesn't want to be our provider. He always is. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to be our healer. He is our healer. He is the opener of doors. He is our friend and our comforter, our brother. Right? He always is. I'm not taking anything away from that. But what if he's saying, yes, I will do this. I will do it in my time. I will do it in my way. But I want you to find me in a different place. The place spoken of in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul is speaking. He says this, I speak to you the mystery that's been hidden for ages, but now is revealed Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I don't know about you, but when shaking and everything else is going wrong in my life, I tend to look outward and go, Jesus, I need you to come in and be this to me. And certainly I do, and it's okay to pray that. But sometimes I forget to say, Jesus, are you by chance wanting me to look for you in me, Christ in me, during the storm, during the shaking? What does that look like? Maybe it's having joy, even while I'm battling a sickness. Maybe it's being able to laugh and sing, even when I'm feeling lonely. Maybe it's being patient with my children when they're kind of driving me nuts, when I wish I could have a little me time. You know, whatever it might be, I want to challenge you, as God has challenged me. I believe he wants us not just to look for him out there as the one who comes in and saves and heals and calms storms and delivers us and lifts us up out of the miry clay. He does all that, absolutely. But sometimes it's okay to ask, Lord, are you wanting, where are you wanting me to find you in this? And if he says, hey, I want Christ in you to overflow with faith or with patience or with joy, or with kindness, or with self-control in the storm. You're going to see me coming in and through you. Wow, we may find Jesus a lot more often in the storm. So let's do that as we look around. Let's not forget to look at Christ in us, because he is in you. You are united with Christ, and he longs to, to come through you and let his joy and his light, his faith, his compassion, his power flow through you in the midst of whatever you're facing.
Okay, the last but not least is looking forward. You know, we look back, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. We look around, see those times of shaking perhaps in our lives, and hopefully begin to look for Jesus, not only to us, but also in us and through us in those times. But as we look forward, there's a passage in Philippians chapter 3 that uh, you may be familiar with, and it's, uh, it's a powerful passage. I'm going to begin with reading verse 10. Paul, again, from prison, is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And let's get forward to 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what I see in that passage? I see God's idea of CrossFit. I don't know about you, but you know, this time of year, perhaps you're thinking about it, you know, like I am, kind of like, hmm, maybe this will be the year. Then again, there's Lamar's Donuts, <laughs> you know. Anyway, but it seems like it's one of those things that we probably at least have thought about at some point as fitness and how to be I believe that this simple paragraph, Paul was giving us three exercises that are part of God's CrossFit program. You want to hear it? Okay, the first one is this, that word where it says, this I do, forgetting what is behind. That word actually means something that is fitted to you and that you put on and that it fits so well you can actually kind of forget about it or take it for granted because you don't have to even think about it, right? How many runners do we have? We have any runners in the house? Okay, so I'm probably, if you have a good pair of running shoes, that fits, I know last service we had Mark Thompson, the guy, he actually ran the 100-mile Leadville race this year. Crazy, I can't imagine, it was like four marathons, back-to-back, -back. it was 25 hours, it was through two sunrises nonstop running, up in high altitude, no less. But he had to change the shoes, he had a couple different pairs of running shoes, because it's important, you know, they, they start kind of, you can imagine, you know, after 50 miles, 25 miles, you know, they start wearing on a certain part of your foot or whatever, no matter how well broken in they are, so you have to change them and wear a different pair. But when you have that perfect pair of shoes that just fits you perfectly, and you're able to kind of forget about that because you've put it on and it fits like a glove, that's what that exercise is speaking of, forgetting. It's not, I block it out, I want to pretend it didn't happen, I don't want to think about that because I don't know where God was in the middle of that. No, God is not saying that kind of forget. He's saying, look back, see me in your story. See that I love you. See that I've always been with you. That everything, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, is for your good. And be able to put that on and be okay with it and go, yes, Lord, it's all part of my story. And I can move forward now and look ahead without having to think about that or constantly try to make it work. I can just wear it like a glove or like a well-fitting pair of shoes. That's what God is saying here. He wants us to be able to do. The second exercise is it says stretching forth. He says, this is what I do. I strain forward. That makes me think of number 87. I don't know about you. But Broncos, number 87, Eric Decker. 
You know, perhaps we'll see it today, maybe not. But, you know, in every game, it seems like there's one of those touchdown passes where it's like, you know, I can't even do it. I'll probably get a cramp. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's like this. I don't know if he does that expression. Maybe he does. But that you? you know, his tippy toes are just barely inside the end zone. He's stretching forth. Why? To reach for the prize because he knows that there is great reward in catching that football. I believe God wants you to know as we look forward, there is great reward. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hold back. You can dive into the things that God has for you in 2014. He has a great prize to which he's calling you higher and heavenward in Christ Jesus. Be free of worry. Be free of fear. Stretch forth by faith. Just like you're trying to receive that touchdown catch because it's coming to you. The third exercise that I believe we see here is the one that says press on. I press on towards that heavenward calling in Christ Jesus. And that word literally means to come down aggressively down on and to possess. Which kind of makes me think, again, of tackling something. Maybe it's just because, you know, it's Broncos country. But hey, the Apostle Paul must have been a Broncos fan too. I don't know, because it's just, he's using all these words. But it means come down aggressively and take ownership of and own it and possess it. God doesn't want us, as we look at 2014, to just look from a distance and go, well, I guess God may have some promises. I don't know. They're kind of far away and blurry and probably I'll never actually possess them, but it's kind of neat to know they're out there. You know, that's not what God wants. He wants us to be going for it. To be going, man, I'm coming after you, promise of God. Every good word that God has spoken over you, God wants to be like, I am coming after you. I'm pressing forward, and you better watch it because you're going to be mine. That's what God wants his sons and daughters to be thinking as we step into a new season, 2014. One of my pet peeves is the worship team comes <laughs> forward uh, is uh, grocery stores and department stores that... Um, I don't know about you, but in December, it seems like, you know, if you go to a store right after Christmas, you go to a grocery store, and you see a bunch of red velvety chocolate heart-shaped boxes. Anybody seen that? Or it's in the middle of February, and you're like, oh, I forgot to buy a coat. Why? Because we live in Colorado, and it can be 60 in December. And so now it's like 20 degrees out, and it's snowing and blizzarding. I need a coat. But you go to the department store, and what do you find? Little bikinis hanging on hooks, and little flip-flops, and little Hawaiian shirts, and little beach towels. And you're like, excuse me, question. Have you guys been outside lately? Because, you know, you should be selling goggles and snow pants and shovels. But what are they doing? They're always thinking ahead to the next season, aren't they? They're always cheating. They're always like, I know it's still Christmas, but we're already stretching towards Valentine's Day, you know? Or, I know it's still winter outside, but on the inside, we're preparing for June, baby. We don't know. Maybe you're going to Cancun. Maybe you, you know, whatever. But they're always pressing forward to the next season. Here's what I believe God wants you to hear. No matter what kind of a year it's been, no matter what kind of shaking you're in the middle of right now, I believe God wants you to know that there's a fresh and new season coming in your life. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. It's a representation of the love that Jesus has for his church, symbolized in King Solomon and the Shunammite woman who was his bride. And he says this, Arise and come away with me, for winter is past and the rains are gone. And you can hear the sound my beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. See, the winter is past. 
The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. And the cooing of doves is heard in our land. Some of you today just need to hear the voice of your bridegroom telling you that. Saying, arise, come away with me. No matter what season you've had lately, hey, there's a new season coming. And even though it might be 20 degrees outside in your circumstances, but man, you can already start going shopping for the next season. You can already start dressing for the next season because God is bringing something new and fresh and the song of the turtle dove is heard in the land. I want to encourage you. God has great things for you and your family. He has great things for our church. He has great things for people that don't even know him yet. Let's stretch forth. Let's press in and press on. Let's hear him calling us into that next season and say, yes, Lord. Yes, God, do it in me. God, I believe. Lord, I trust you. God, here I am. No pretenses. Take me with you into those new things that you have planned for me. As we do that together, I believe that God is going to pour out his goodness. We want to experience it like ever before. Let's stand to our feet together.
thing in store for us, many good things. So I pray as we go our way today, Lord, we just want to walk in that blessing that you're good, that you're alive, that you're inside of us, that you do amazing things. So I pray that blessing over every one of us, Lord, as we go in Jesus' mighty name. Pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to dismiss our service. We're going to open up the top of our service. Your name is like home.